Thank you, Paul and Leslie. It's good to see you all today, or a few of us today, right? It's all right. It's like a family meeting, right? All right, let's take our Bibles this afternoon and turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at, uh, the Lord willing, a conclusion to our study in grace, but also the section we've been studying for several weeks in Ephesians. Uh, I would like to read again Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, We'll begin reading at verse 14 through the end of that chapter, verse 21. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning now at verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his power, I'm sorry, with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, and depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that is working in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, Amen. And may God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word. Let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, again, we thank You for the day. We thank You for the majesty and the awesomeness of we, that we see of You as You've spoken Your Word to us. A love letter, Father, that You've allowed us to just peel back at least a portion of how tremendously awesome You are. Thank You for the world in which we're living and the day that You've given us. And thank You for these that have come out today that have felt it worthy to praise your name and to worship you. Father, for these moments before us now, relationally, may we never have been closer to you than we will now. Father, we ask that you would help us to see you more clearly than ever. Thank you for the love that you've shown through Jesus Christ as he died on the cross for us. Thank you, Father, as well for the strength and the power that has been given through the gift of grace. And today, as we look once again at starting our engines letting the power of grace strengthen and guide and direct our lives. Father, we would ask for clarity of thought. We would ask for the Holy Spirit exclusively would be our teacher. We rest in you. Father, I seem so inadequate for the powerful passage that we're looking at today, but may you be seen and not me. Father, thank you for the words of the Scripture. We rest and lean on you, asking the Spirit to lead and guide us in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been, uh, as I've said, we've been engaged in a study on grace for actually, I'm not even sure how many weeks, a long time. Uh, I'm hoping that your sense of grace has grown immensely. Um, Most of the time we see grace as something we're saved by. We're saved by grace through faith. But grace is much, much bigger than that. It's not just about being saved by it. We live by it. There's power in it. There's just a tremendously large scope of what grace is all about and what it endears and the impact that it has on us that have trusted Christ as Savior. Now, there was five things. Actually, literally, it's four. I maybe went a little bit further, but it's like starting an engine. I think that's the closest we can come. So if you think of Ephesians, um, now, Paul, you read Ephesians, correct? That's what you said. Yes. Yeah, very good. Um, would you like to give us an outline on that? 
That was a no. I could see it in his eyes. <laughs> That's okay. But by the way, I'm not even going to ask, but you were ready anyway, right? You were, you were absolutely, 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 absolutely. But it's interesting, if you were to take the book of Ephesians and to tear it apart, if you will, there's six chapters, and the first three ultimately talk about the riches that we have in the God's grace or in Jesus Christ. And he's described as being the key to us really receiving everything that he desires for us to have. In fact, there's two prayers that Paul has. I'd like to read the other one. We've read the one in uh, chapter 3, but let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1, and I would like to bring to to your attention some of the things that really literally are yours uh, and that God has given to you. And then I'd like to look at at the prayer that he's wanting. There's two prayers that Paul has. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. Lots of things going through my mind right now. But one is to see the sense in chapter 1, he's showing you what you have in Christ, the power that you have all enveloping in grace, and then he prays that you would understand the fullness of that, just understanding the gift, understanding grace. And then chapter 3, just before he dives in, now what are you going to do with the riches you have in Christ? What are you going to do with it? I want, ladies and gentlemen, you start your engines and let's get moving. Let's get moving with everything that you have. So he's got two prayers. One is so they understand what they have, and then number two, may they really get it engaged. Have you ever had somebody uh, maybe work for you, you've been a co-worker or somewhere, and you're going somewhere, and they just can't seem to get on fire, there's no passion? You'd like them to get going, start their engines, get their key in, ignite, get going, right? That's what Paul is saying. Let's get moving. I'm the only one with excitement in the room. We're going to work on that all day long, though. Here we go. Okay, here we go. Let's go now to Ephesians chapter 1, and there's some things that we see that are really, really important. In chapter 1, in verse 3, we see that we're actually blessed uh, by God. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, He's chosen us. We're holy, without, we're blameless. We've been predestinated. We've been accepted. We've been loved. Verse 7, We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. Verse 8, We've been given all wisdom and prudence. Verse 9, he's given us wisdom and knowledge. Verse 10, he's helped us to understand the mystery of God's will. Verse 13, let's read verse 13. In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Now, there's a lot going on there. I want to stop for just a second. Let's just take a second. Think of this. If you've trusted Christ as Savior... There's some things that happen immediately that are amazing. You have the Holy Spirit that literally lives within you. It's called the sealing or the earnest. And I've said this many times, but it helps me to see it. Uh, how many of you ever bought a house or piece of property? Some of you have. Okay, there's something that happens with you. The realtor, the realtor or the person of which you're buying it from will show you the property. And you look at it and you, you view it and you say, hey, I really like this. A lot of times it takes two or three times, right? You don't, don't get that first love feeling. And you go back and you see and you check all of it out and you do all of your... And you, and you just and you know, I really love this house. I want to buy this house. Now, if you just said to the, to the realty agent or to the owner of the property, you say, you know, I really, really... In fact, Paul, you're going to be selling me a house right now. It'll, it'll make a lot better, okay? And I've come, Paul, two, two or three times. I looked at your house and I really like your house. And I said, Paul, I want to buy your house. And you say... That's good. Don't That's lift r- up the carpets. Don't lift up the carpets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you don't want to sell the house. Okay, very good. But let's say that everything's good. Okay. And, and w- but if I just told Paul, you know what, I want to buy your house. I just want to buy your house. Paul would say, well, that's, that's good. 
That's good, but that's not enough. Why, why isn't that enough? How serious are you? How serious are you? How, can, how serious are you in buying my house? Is it just a tire kicker? You know, that's a, and you, you know, you just, you ever been a tire kicker? Go looking at cars, whatever. You know, you just kind of walk around and, well, that's a nice car. You know, that's a really nice car. But, yeah, kick the tires, right? But until I actually put money down or earnest, I'm not serious. You know how God proved that he's serious about choosing and redeeming you? He literally sealed you or he redeemed you by Jesus Christ's blood, but he also put a seal on you with the Holy Spirit, which is the earnest of the down payment to prove that what he's going to end up doing. That's crazy, isn't it? And it's very much like until Paul really wouldn't know how serious I was until I drug a checkbook out and said, I'm going to write you this amount for a down payment to prove that I'm going to buy this. And if I don't, you get to keep it. Now think of that. Did you, did you see it? In other words, if God was not going to finish with it, you would literally own the very God that is the earnest and the down payment. He's going to finish what he started. Isn't that beautiful? Those are, those are things that Paul wants us to see. Now look at verse, uh, it was started in verse 14, amazingly. Verse 14, chapter 1 says, well, already we read this, let's do it one more time. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, understanding, if you will, in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Are you seeing this? He's really wanting us to fully see what God has given us in the package of grace. Now, in chapter 3, which we've read, he's telling us all about, if you will, he's giving us the specifications of the engine. He's telling you everything about it. For two chapters, three chapters, he's saying, this is what you have in Christ. This is who you are. This is the power that's beyond measure. And then in chapters 4 through 6, he's telling us what to do with it. But it's not just knowing about it. What are we going to do about it? If we don't do anything about it, how effective is it? Let's say you bought a brand new car. And there are people that actually do this. You buy a brand new car, put it in the garage, and don't look at it for years and years and years and years. It doesn't ever get used. What kind of value is that? It's a waste, isn't it? It just sits there. Paul says, I don't want you to just sit on the things that you have. I want you to use them. And that's why he has really brought us about five things that we must be engaged in and their and their and the progression you'll start with one you add on you have two you add on you add on until you have five things that literally will make that 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 package if you will the benefits we have in grace to be explosive in us really living a life that's beyond our wildest imagination now i want you let, let's just take verse 20 if we just pile right into verse 20 it's almost overwhelming by itself let's go to chapter 3 and verse 20 and let's read it and it's just wow now we've done it a couple of weeks but it's almost leaves you what verse 20 here we go ephesians chapter 3 now unto him god that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power 
Now stop there. That worketh. That worketh. How are you doing so far? This is all good. It's all about God, isn't it? It's amazing. But did you see the last two words? They bug me. They really, really bug me. Look at the last two words. I'm going to read it again now that I've brought you to it. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. How many of you feel that that power is not necessarily working in us? Have you had those days, those moments, those weeks, those months? That there's not a lot of work going on in me, I feel like. I'm just, ah, oh. right? Yeah, there's a few rights going on now, right? And, and you just... I don't see that to that. I mean, did you see the, the, the language? It's almost like super, super abundantly beyond what we could think or ask. That's out there. That is out there. And it's according to the power that is in us. Sometimes we don't feel like there's a lot of power going in us, is it? Now, we talked about this last week in the sense of according to or out of. Okay. Let's say that you have a, you have a rich man. And uh, this time, Paul, you're going to come to me, and I'm going to just, I'm going to, I'm going to make it look like, for a moment, or act like I'm a rich man. Now, you know that's not true, okay? You very, everyone knows that's not true. But, but you would, and, and you're coming to me, and you said, I need some money, sir. Now, I need five, he, see, I'm, I'm, give, I'm adding this, but you need $500. Would you please ask me? Just go ahead and ask me. I need $500. I need $500, okay? Now, if I was going to pay Paul out of my riches, I'd pull out my wallet and I'd give him $5. Okay? That would be out of my riches. Now, ask me again. I need $500. Okay, now, if I was going to pay him according to my riches, and again, you're assuming that I'm a rich man. That's a big assumption. I get that. But if he was asking, and if I was going to pay him according to my riches, I would give him $1,000. You see the difference? When you find what God is appropriating to us, it's not out of his riches. It's according to his riches. Mark that. That is really, really important. He's not holding anything back. Now, this is the infinite God with infinite riches, and he's, according to those riches, is appropriating those things. Now, the problem that I have or that, I, that we think about is that this power... I don't see that kind of power that's beyond what we can think or ask. Working in us, that's why we have to go back. Don't remove that. That promise is there. Let's find out, leading up to it, what the difference is. Now, going back again, there was three things that we've unfolded for you in previous weeks. Let's go back and review for a moment those. He starts off in verse 14, again praying, that they would understand how to start their motors, if you will, for this cause, chapter 3, verse 14, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of these things that we have access to, and he's bowing, he's praying before God, and he says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to, you see it again, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now, what we see and what we usually care for in the human, humans is, is there's a lot of things that take care of the outer man. Lots of stuff in the outer man. You know, we can go to, to a beauty shop. We can go to an exercise place. We can go to health food stores. We can go to, to all kinds of places that care for the outer man, the things that are really, really important to what we see and how we literally feel. 
But could someone tell me where you would go if you were going to take care of and strengthen the inner man? Where would you go? Do they have an inner man shop somewhere? Church would be a place, yeah. And it's dealing with that important part that is the real you. Let's go to 2 Corinthians one more time in chapter 4 and watch this. Now, I've never been as old as I am right now until right now. And right, you see it. It just continues, right? But the inner man is actually being renewed every day. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and watch what the scriptures say in regards to this. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And let's look at verse, where am I at? Oh, where's it at? Come on. There it is, verse 16, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Paul is saying that he's asking to strengthen the inner man, to take care of the inner man, that place that your spirituality begins, and it's the place that it's the real you. The stronger you are on the inside, literally the stronger everything works from your perspective, your thinking, what you believe is what you become. You live by how you believe. If your mind's not right, your living can't possibly be right. How do we strengthen the inner man? Now, he's talking as well about the spirit, the spirit. Let's go back to, uh, it's actually going to tie into the second. Well, let's not do that for right now. Just stop for a moment. But don't let me forget Romans 5.5. 5. Romans 5.5 5 is a verse we really want to go to. But the inner man, how is that accomplished? How do you strengthen the inner man? Tell me some ways. How would you do that? Well, the word of God. Immersing ourselves in the word of God. Continuing, getting up. In the morning, for me, it's right away first thing in the morning. I want, I want, to, get, I want to get into the Word of God. I want to read it uh, and do it and, and continue to do it. Immerse your mind because that's how the Holy Spirit will use the Word of God to strengthen, to exercise, to make the inner part of you stronger every day. You must pay attention to the inner man. You must. There's no other way to have this power that we're talking about being expressed. But it's not only that. It's also making the fact as you become walking in the Spirit... That's to live by, to yield to, making those choices. Now, on any given day, there's hundreds and hundreds of choices that you make. Some of them, you just make it, you know, pretty simple. What's harder to do, to breathe or to not breathe? Let me, let me say it a different way. Let me, let me say that. That sounded really bad. Is it, harder, is it harder to breathe or to hold your breath? Why? Nat, you know, what we've done, I haven't asked you to, I haven't asked you to say, in other words, for us to, to uh, well, got to remember to keep breathing. Got to remember to keep breathing. Keep breathing, Larry. Got to keep breathing. No, of course not. It just comes naturally. But now if I was going to say hold your breath, you would have to consciously make an effort to hold your breath because the atmosphere and the environment actually works the breathing for you. You just naturally do that. Holding your breath, if you hold it long enough, that's a problem. It becomes very difficult, Right? And when the more that we yield, the more we make choices, the right choices, allowing the Spirit to use the Word of God to enable us to live a life that's fuller, guess what? It becomes more natural. It becomes more normal. It becomes the pattern and the life that we really just literally just almost fall into, the exercises that we do. And some of you may be very, you know, you may have exercises that you do every day just from the outer man. Nothing wrong with that at all. But don't forget the inner man. There's one that would never miss a protein shake that won't read the Word of God. 
You see what I'm saying? That's what I'm really after, is making sure that we exercise the inner man. That's step one. If you do not focus upon the inner man, this power that's talked about in Ephesians 3.20, you will never see it expressed in you. But once we're working on the inner man and letting the spirit work and to live in the spirit, to being filled with the spirit, there's the one we talked about last week in the seeing, being indwelt by Christ. Now you see, wait, wait a minute. If we're saved, if we've trusted Christ as Savior, one thing that happens initially is that Christ does live within us. What are you talking about, Larry? We, we talked about this last week. I think this is really important. How comfortable are you if Jesus Christ walked up to your door and knocked on it, and you opened and he said, I'd like to come in and live with you? Uh, let me get back to you. <laughs> I got some cleaning to do. I remember, uh, Mom, this is, this, is not, this is not a problem, but I, re- I was thinking of this. This is the old house in North Dakota. Remember that? Okay. And it was a different time. I was just a little kid, just a little kid. And, and there, was more, there was more visiting back then. You remember that? There was, you know, people would go and just go from, I don't know, just go visit, right? And, and sometimes they would call and sometimes they wouldn't. You, you understand, right? <laughs> and uh, I, I remember on numerous occasions there was a closet. There was the closet. <laughs> and it was right next to the living room. <laughs> and... Uh, and you would see somebody drive in the driveway. <gasps> and mom would say, quick, clean up, clean up. And we would throw so much stuff in the closet. It was amazing. It was, you, you've, seen those, you've seen those television programs where they open the closet and all falls out. That was filmed at our house. No, it wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Mom, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But wasn't it funny, though? We were, we were trying to get ready, weren't we? We were trying to just be presentable. And everybody knows, you know, it wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have mattered because that's not why people came over. We're going to see how clean their house is. No, of course not. They're just coming here to visit, right? But you know how we are. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is if Jesus Christ came to live in your home. Now, I'm not talking about visiting. See, that's the difference. If you just want to go to visit him on Sundays or you want Sunday to be that day, which thank you for coming and enjoying yourself today here or any place in a place of worship on a Sunday because God wants us to do that. This is the day that he should be praised and honored and worshipped corporately. I mean, that, it gives us strength. It gives, me, it gives me so much joy when I'm gathered with others talking about Jesus. It, it, it sets me up for the week. It really does. I, I don't think I could get through it. Makes it harder, doesn't it? But at any rate, taking a step back now, I'm talking about not just visiting. I'm talking about living with you. Do you see, and I'm seeing that exactly what I want you to be. Now, he's, first of all, we talked about this last, he's going to go to your library. He's going to go into your library, and he's going to see what you're reading, what you're taking in. That's kind of the brain center of it. What are are you really listening to? What's important to you? What are you taking in? What is your mind dwelling on? He wants to look through that library, and, oh, here's, this is it. Larry, what's what's this one about? I was going to get rid of that, right? (laughs) And so, so when Jesus Christ just comes in, there's a sense that there's cleaning and there's stuff and he'll bring this to your attention. He'll do this. And the Holy Spirit, of course, in combination. And so there's, there's kind of cleaning, okay? And then he's probably going to go to the kitchen, the dining room area. That's where your appetites are. What really makes you tick? What do you really want? See, all of that's going to be there, isn't it? Go to the living room and who are you relating with? Who's the conversation with? Who's your companions? How is this all fitting together? 
to go to the workshop, go out to the shop. What are you making? Oh, hmm, just, wow. Nothing really, huh? And you've got all that talent, you've got all these tools. What are you doing? See, do, you, do you see where I'm going? But when you get past that, and where you've been working on the inner man and you're exercising those muscles and you're making accommodations, cleaning up, making Jesus not only comfortable, I'm talking really comfortable, and he can just literally, you and him, just sitting down in the quietness of your mind in your home, you say, it's so good to be here. It's so good to be here with you. Do you see the difference? It's the difference between a house and a home. Is Jesus Christ at home in your life. And see, the more that you... And again, do you see how these things stack on top of one another? We haven't even went very far, but step one is strengthen the inner man. Get that inner man moving and making choices that the Holy Spirit can guide you forward. And then stacking on top of it, making it a place that Jesus Christ is literally comfortable and wanting to be there with you. And number three is that we talked a little bit about Love, to be rooted and grounded. Talk to me about being rooted and grounded. What does that mean? If you're rooted and grounded, take those two words, rooted and grounded. What does that literally mean? Not movable. To be fixed, if you will. Yeah. What else? That's good. Kind of takes us to the plant world, doesn't it? Let's go to Psalm chapter 1. I was thinking of that one. Keep thinking along that line. Psalm chapter 1. Let's go back all the way to Psalm. Psalms chapter 1. The picture we have here, I think it's very key. Psalm chapter 1, and we'll look at verses, I think, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man that, this is Psalm 1, 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and, his, and, his, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Do you see what's happening? That's strengthening the inner man. Do you see? That's the focus here. Is he's strengthening the inner man. Keep going. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now, keep that in mind. Go back to Ephesians now, and let's look at how Paul writes this one more time. Ephesians chapter 3 and in verse 16, following into the inner man, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now watch verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And that that dwell again, I really key on that, being comfortable in your hearts by faith, that you, watch, being rooted and grounded in love. Do you see, do you see the back to the plant community or a tree that we saw in Psalm? Talk to me about rooted and grounded. And you said to be Im- immovable. Is that what the word he used? Okay. What else can we say about that? Using those two terms. What, what else does that connotate? Talking about Christ's love. Yes. Incomprehensible. Think of that. The word incomprehensible. Okay. That's big, isn't it? It's almost like we can't even comprehend it. And yet we're told that he's asking that we would be able to... That word comprehend is to grasp, to get a hold of. He's asking us, we're going to find that word in a little bit, in how big, how wide, is four dimensions. We'll talk about it in just a second. Let's talk about rooted and grounded. What, what rooted and grounded in love? Rooted. What does a root do? That's right. It, it, it takes nutrition. Okay. Now, what happens if it's very shallow-rooted? 
There's some of the tree, you know, have you seen, seen a tree that hasn't, hasn't, doesn't have deep roots? Here comes a windstorm. Gone. In fact, that's what's key. That's, that you've, you've taken us right there. In fact, there's a story. Remember that? Let's talk about foundations. How many of you are carpenters or builders in the past? Okay. One of the things that's really important is the most important thing that you can do with building a building is to make sure the foundation is secure. If you don't go deep, you can't go high. Think of that in your life for a second. If you don't go deep in the love of Christ, you can't go high. All of those winds of change and the temptations and those things that come whooshing across the, the landscape. If you're not rooted and grounded, you're unsafe. You're not secure. And the nutrition that comes from God's love. Think, I, I, was, I can't, it just, just hit me right now in, in my mind. I was going to talk to you about, the, and the news this week, oh my goodness, right? You can only take so much and turn it off. I've never seen our political landscape be so messed up. The hatred between good and evil and all of that sort of thing. But there was something, there was a news thing that's of much, much worthiness. It's a very, very sad story. Maybe you followed it. But in the, in the city of Dallas, Texas, um, some years back, not years back, but in time past, I'm just going to say, Jerry, you're nodding your head. What, the, the gal that was a Dallas uh, policeman? How long ago did that event take place? Okay. Anyway, this is, this is the scene. Um, I can't build all the details, but just making it brief, um, this, her name was Amber, so we're, we're going to use her name. Amber, she, came, she was coming off of work. She was a police, uh, a, a Dallas policeman, and went to her apartment that she thought was her apartment. She's on the wrong floor. The door that she thought was her apartment is open. Sitting on the couch is a man. She shot him dead because she thought he was in her apartment. On the 911 call 19 times, she said, I thought it was my place. I thought, you, you see what I'm saying? There is nothing good about any of this, correct? This, this is horrible. How bad could you make it? How bad could you make it? Well, ultimately, she was convicted of, uh, of, of murder, and she was given a 10-year sentence. Um, this man, his name was Botham Jean. A black man. She was a white. I'm saying this only for the sake of what makes this story even more meaningful in the day and landscape of which we find ourselves living. He had a younger brother. I can't remember his name. He was 18 years old. The judge was a black judge. The sentence was, was read. And this 18-year-old brother of the deceased asked the judge to be able to read a statement and for just say some words to Amber, the one that had shot his brother. And again, I, it's just, could you make it any worse, right? I mean, she didn't, obviously didn't mean to. It's just whatever. Or you can believe what you want, but the point of the matter is there's other events leading up to it. She just got the wrong apartment, just the way it seems, just the way it is. Anyway, the brother says, I know what my brother would do. He would want me to forgive you. And would it be okay if I embraced her and give her a hug? And in the front of the entire courtroom, this 18-year-old brother of the one that had been shot hugs this woman that's just been sentenced to 10 years and says, I forgive you. And I hope you find Jesus Christ because that's what my brother would want you to do. It gets better. 
It gets better. The judge came off of the, what, what do they sit in? Where are they at? Um, the bench. Good enough for me. Chambers was in my mind, but bench, okay. She comes off the bench and she comes down to talk to the family of this lady that had just been convicted and sentenced to 10 years. And then she said, I want to give you a Bible. And she hugged the person that she had just sentenced and she said, God loves you. That's the kind of stuff that we don't hear about. I had to seek that story out. That's what will change our world. That 18-year-old man was described by the district prosecuting attorney as saying, that young man is a leader beyond leaders at 18 years of age because he knows what love is. And that's what this means to be, excuse me? Yes, to be rooted and grounded in love. That couldn't have fit better in what we're talking about, in what Paul was wanting to say. Didn't make it easy. There's nothing. That whole thing, you just, you just cringe, don't you? And somewhere, God is going to use that to impact that city, family at a time. And you know what? When we're rooted and grounded in love like that, and we're strengthening the inner man. Again, I'm going to stack it. When you're strengthening the inner man and Christ is comfortable living in your home, guess what? His love just permeates your entire... Your entire if you've been in a home where you just say, man, this is, this, this is good. This feels good. That's what it is to be rooted and grounded in love. Now, I want to say, he also goes on a little bit further and he, he talks about this. Um, let's go back to our text now in Ephesians chapter 3, and he says this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, comma, he's continuing on with the thought, may be able to comprehend, that is to grasp, to, to get a hold of with all saints, in other words, other Christians, what is the, watch this now, what is the breadth and the length and the depth and height? Those are four dimensions. Four dimensions. What's four-dimensional? God's love. God's love. Now, let's first of all look at a, a situation that... I'm going to do this for a second. This is... this. I did not... I found this, and I thought it was really good. Four dimensions of love. What does that look like? A cross. Well, thank heavens you said that, because I, I didn't know how to do it any better than that. Okay? So now think about that. It says, the breadth and the width, one of the cross beams would be would be going obviously one way and one the other way. So the breadth and the width, the height and the depth. All four directions are exhibited. And guess where where the epicenter was? When Jesus Christ was crucified on that cross was the epicenter of love that literally went everywhere in this entire universe. Is that not true? Absolutely true. But let's go now. I want want you to see something else. Um, Thinking about the breadth, the breadth of his love. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to see something that would have been extraordinary in this day and age when Paul would have written this in joining the Jews and the Gentiles together. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 11. This was somewhat of a, uh, something that would be almost blowing your minds. Wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh of made by hands. In other words, uh, putting that in common terms, you, the Jews, those were God's chosen people. He had chosen them not because they were special. He chose them so they would look special to the rest of the world and they would want God, the rest of the world. That's what they were. They weren't special anything beyond that. Then God chose them for that purpose. 
and then everyone else would have been a Gentile. Now, he's, what he's saying is, literally, well, let's keep reading. I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off were made nigh or close by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace who hath, bo- hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of the partition between us. How wide is God's love? It was wide enough to literally break down every wall that would have divided the differences between Jews and Gentiles. He broke down all of that to bring from this farthest corner, from east to west, into one. That love could not be altered. It's as far as the east is from the west. How long is it? How long is God's love? In fact, let's look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Ephesians is so rich. Chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 1 verse 4, it says, As according as he hath chosen us in him, watch, before the foundation of the world. Unbelievable. God's plan for salvation was before he even made anything, his love was there. And it goes all the way into the future, from forever past to forever future. That's how long God's love is. So you've seen how wide it is. You've seen how long it is. How high is it? How high is his love? Look at verse one, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And verse 6 of chapter 2. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's as high as the heavens. How deep is it? Oh, how deep is it? Look at this. This is probably the low point of of our lives that's depicted in Ephesians chapter 2. It starts here, verse 1. And you hath he quickened, or has made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that once worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or citizenship in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling and desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, as deep as sin could take you to the very depths, actually, as far down as you could possibly get away from God. Guess what? God's love reached down that because in verse four of chapter two, it says, but God, who was rich in mercy and grace, took us out of that. How deep is it? As deep as it ever needs to go. Think of that. That's four dimensions of love that is absolutely, Ernie, what was the word? Incomprehensible. Even though Paul is asking that we would be able to comprehend, to grasp it, to really get a hold of it, it truly is incomprehensible. It's infinite in the sense of its scope. Now, do you know so far all we've done is reviewed? Oh, let's move on, right? Let's keep moving. But number four is, if you're strengthening the inner man. I have points to it. I mean, it's that we should be holy and without blame. It doesn't bring us out of the pit. I mean, holy and without blame is a whole, you know, a whole other level, isn't it? Level. Tru- truly, absolutely. And that's the part, again, let's look at, at the power. That I'm going to just say grace in the sense of its effectiveness. I mean, to save that one that was... Another example, I was thinking of this. There was a, there, this was a story was told some time back, but there was a man that stepped off in Pennsylvania off of a train, and he had been just a, a tramp or a beggar for several years. And, he, and for a year, he was just running just around town, just begging for whatever he could, just to exist. And on this particular day, there was a man that he, was, he had his back to him, and he tapped on the shoulder. He said, sir, could you, could you spare a dime? 
And the man turned, and it was his father. Can you imagine that for a second? Father, father, do you recognize me? And his dad just hugged him, and he says, Son, I've been looking for you for ten years. A dime will give you all that I have. Yours is mine. Do you see the difference? It's just like us sometimes as Christians, we don't even know. We're, we're looking for a dime, and God wants to give us it all. He wants you to live your life to the fullest. And what Paul, actually, that's, that's very key. Sometimes we're mired down in sin to the lowest level imaginable. And grace not only takes us out of that, it takes us to the point that we're blameless. <laughs> that's the power of grace. Excuse me? It is incomprehensible. It truly is. And the thing is, is God paid for it. You can't buy it. You can't sell it. You can't trade it. You can't. There's no. He literally paid for it with his own life. My goodness, isn't that amazing? It's amazing. The fourth thing we find is to be of infinite fullness. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3 and let's look at that. Ephesians chapter 3. We'll read verse 18 again. Being that you would be able to comprehend, to grasp with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. And I have, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm sorry, I couldn't do it any justice. It's such a magnificent, incomprehensible concept, his love. But did it help? <laughs> it's, it, it's almost, it's over, so overpowering, it's amazing. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth un- knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Tell me what the fullness of God would look like. What do you guys think that would look like? What's the fullness of God? That you would be filled with the fullness of God. I'm sorry? Excuse me? Christ-like. In fact, that's one of the things that God's whole purpose was. And let's go to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. Just stuck in my mind. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Romans chapter 8. This is key because this is one of the things that God wants us to be is to be conformed to the image of His Son. <clears throat> Let's see here. Verse, uh, we'll read verse 28 as well. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to His purpose. Now I want to stop there for a moment. Um, this year, I think in general, has been extremely difficult from just the sense of stuff going on. Would you guys agree or not agree? Yeah. I mean, I, the, the world is going crazy right now. You know, what's happening, and I'm not just, this is globally now. It's not just our nation. We call evil good, and we call good evil. The Bible talks about that in the latter days. We're really messed up right now. And so con- consequently, there's a lot of struggle, and there's a lot of turmoil, and the, the tumultuous times in which we find our living. You know, it's not always easy, is it? If I was going to ask, how many of you had an easy year, either if you raised your hand, you misunderstood my question, or I can't think of the other one. (laughs) It's crazy tough, isn't it? And yet, that verse is incredibly powerful. I want to read it again, just talking about it that way, because I've got your attention now. Verse 28 says this, and we know, you can count on this, this is fact, that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's really what he wants. Now, there's big words that are predestinate. That literally means that all those that are in Christ was predetermined that he wanted them to be like 
Jesus Christ. He wanted him to be in his image. So if you think about that, where could Christ be more comfortable than somebody that was being conformed to the image of his son? Now, again, I'm not saying that we become gods. The fullness of God, there's some that would say, what are you, what are you saying that we're going to be, we're going to be, be like God? Now, there is a new spirituality movement. Literally, the whole thing is deciding which God you want to be, the God living within you, finding the real God that lives within you. No, I'm not talking about any of that. Let's see if I can get this right. Let's say that I took a glass and I went to the Pacific Ocean because it's the closer of the two. When I would go to the Pacific Ocean, I'd walk out there, not very far if it was me, because I don't do lots of water, and I would take my glass and I would get a glass of the Pacific Ocean. Okay? Now, do I have all of the Pacific Ocean in the glass? No. But I have the essence of the Pacific Ocean in the glass. The fullness of God is to being so filled with everything that God's essence is, there's no room for anything else. And God loves full. You'll find Now, what do we mean by the fullness of God? Have you seen in the scripture movie that there was a man, he was full of rage. He was full of anger. He was full of malice. What does that mean? He was dominated by or controlled by. Have you ever been in a, you just lost it? Just lost it. You know what? You were filled with something other than godliness at that point, usually, right? But when we're full of God's, the fullness of God, guess what? There's no room for anything else. Exactly. There's another one, being filled with the Spirit. Now, what happens when we have the fullness of God? When we have completely filled with Him? What happens? What takes place? Hopefully the cup runs over. <laughs> yeah, the cup. That, then that is amazing too, isn't it? It, it really is, Literally. That, that, now, let's take that. Do you see how this is all in steps? Let's, let's take a step back. Step one was all the way over here on the left. Those listening uh, by other than being here, it's going to be a little difficult. I'm on the left-hand side of the building. And first step one is to strengthen the inner man, be walking in the spirit, yielding to choices that are in the best interests of God and us. And then when we're stacking on top of that, we actually literally, our heart, our lives become a comfortable, a wanting place for Jesus Christ to not only just visit, but to live, to dwell there. And then we take another step up, and guess what? Now we've understood and being grounded and rooted in the love that is really incomprehensible. And when that happens, guess what? The permeation of love in Christ living, it takes us and fills us to actually have the fullness of God within us. Ah! And guess what happens? Verse 20 of chapter 3 becomes reality. The power that worketh within us, you know how it just started just like boom, 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 and it just explodes. That dunamis or dynamite, the thing, that power that God has given to us becomes reality when we take those steps. The fullness of God. Now, I ask a question. What happens when the fullness of God, Now, because there is something that happens. When we have the fullness of God within our lives, guess what takes place? First thing is probably love, right? Because love was there. But what, what, you, what you're going to is probably Galatians chapter 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit. How does it start? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, kindness. Against such there is no law. That's what happens when we're the fullness of 
God was with it. the fruit. Now, can you tell if, have you ever had a talking to an apple tree? Now, listen here, Mrs. Apple Tree. I've had enough of you. Last year, you didn't give us any apples. But this year, I want to tell you, you are going to do a good job and give me some apples. Is that how you do it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. So does, does he do that to his, does he, he, dock, he talks to his trees. Now, by the way, not, nothing wrong talking to trees. I think that's okay. It's okay. But I, what, my, what I was getting at was the effectiveness of talking to the tree into giving more fruit is probably minuscule. It's not going to be effective, right? Why not? Where does fruit come from? Where does fruit come from? comes from within, doesn't it? And guess where the fruit comes from? And, and, and you've seen, you can see trees side by side. One of them is really getting it done well, and the other one isn't. Some has a great harvest, and you know what you'll probably find is the nutrition between the two is very different. One may be deeper rooted. One may be able to assimilate the nutrition elements that makes it more flourishing, But fruit isn't something that you manufacture. Fruit comes within the tree. That's right. And that's that's what makes makes the fruit even more generous or more overflowing. Now let's talk about the cup that's overflowing. The tree doesn't eat its own fruit. That seems just odd how I said that. But the fruit is for whom? It's for others. Right? It impacts. Now, this is the deal. When, when that love, that, when you're rooted and grounded in love, the environment, the whole take-up of that fruit in your life, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, kindness, against such there's no law, all of those things come because of those steps that you've taken, strengthening the inner man. Number two, making it a comfortable place for Christ to live. Number three, being rooted and grounded in love. Number four, literally the fullness of Christ, the fullness of God becomes part of you. And guess what? You can't stop that tree from making fruit. Because that's another thing you can't do. Stop it. We have too much fruit. We don't need any more fruit. Now, that doesn't happen often. But there's some people that live in parts of the world. It did this year. Just too much. Too much. There's some people that have orange trees and lemon trees in Arizona and other parts of the world that I, I don't know if I'd ever have too many oranges. But they say, stop it. It's just a mess. It's, you know what? There's so much fruit. And who is fruit for? For others. All of those things that just come out of you that literally impact your world, just like I told you about that young man at 18 years of age. His fruit is impacting a world. Your world that you find yourself living in, whether it's in the Madison Valley, whether it's in the Ruby Valley, whether it's in Alaska, in the Matanuska Valley, it doesn't matter. Wherever you're at, this is the key way for God to explode the power that he has given you in grace. And when you do those things, get out of the way and it will be exceedingly above beyond what you could even ask or think. How did we do? Grace is huge, isn't it? It's incomprehensible in its fullest. And yet, that passage of Scripture, that prayer that Paul is saying is probably one of the most powerful passages of taking the specification, specifications of a mighty engine 
and getting it turned on to literally utilizing it in the real world and the rubber meets the road in life. And those are the ways to get it done. And you all said, Amen. Amen. Now I want you to see something else. We're going to take, a, we're going to take just a moment. And uh, as Paul said, the first, first month of the sun, first Sunday of the month. Let's try that. First month of the Sunday. That, that, <laughs> if anybody seen that one, I'd tell me about that. But it's a time for us to reflect and to go back and, and have a communion service that talks and goes back to the time. There's a picture here that uh, you guys all know Benito. I think I've told you that. This was something that he brought from Mexico and he gave to our family. Okay? And uh, you know, done very well, very nice. But uh, except there was no table. There's some things at that time that wasn't quite like that. They, were a, they would have been just reclining on the, on the, you know, on the, on the floor. And they would have, you know, just been reclining on their elbow. And I still think of the significance of God, of Jesus Christ, and the love that he showed was truly amazing. He knew who the one was that he was going to be betrayed by. It was Judas Iscariot. Judas was the treasurer of the company, and he was the one that was literally stealing from it as well, it's told in the the gospel. But on that night, now who would you, now again, I want just put yourself, just slip into Jesus' sandals for just a second. It's a hard place to be, because that man... That God, that man, the man, the son of God is amazing in the sense of how he impacted people around him. But on that night, and again, he didn't say it to anyone else. He just said, tonight, someone's going to betray me. What were they talking about? Do you remember what they were talking about? The disciples? Who's going to be the greatest? They were having a big powwow. Hey, I'm better than you are. I'll tell you what, when we, get to, when we, whoop, when we whoop up on Rome, and we, when Israel's going to be number one king, because this, this Jesus is our Messiah, man. We're going to be, I'm going to be the highest in the kingdom. And they're kind of back and forth. <sighs> what do you think Jesus was doing? <sighs> I've been, these guys have been traveling for three years, and that's what they got out of this? <laughs> but rather than scold them, what did he do? He did two things that night that I thought were overwhelming, especially, especially being able for them to look back after the fact. Number one is he made the guest of honor, the one that would have been to his right on that evening, the guest of honor would have been none other than Judas Iscariot that in just a few hours would betray him. The second thing he did was he, the master, the rabbi, is he washed their feet. Now, that shut it down. <laughs> can, you imagine, can you imagine that climate? How, how do you think that atmosphere was? Right? Especially when he said, do you like what you have? That's right, and that's what we want to go to. In fact, take your Bibles. Let's turn to John chapter 13 for a moment. As you're doing that, I can't imagine how somber and humble that whole thing would have been because Jesus got on his knees and were washing his disciples' feet. And he comes, remember he came to Peter, and what did, what did Peter say? Oh, no, 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 you're not doing I should be washing your feet. Did you see? He was starting to get it. He was starting. And Jesus, well, then you all have no point. Well, then wash everything. No, 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 Jesus said, no, that's not the point. The point is I want you to do unto others as I have done to you. Now, that's exactly the message that young 18-year-old black man gave to that woman that had inadvertently killed her brother, his brother. Do you see it? That's doing unto others as I would do to you. Is that easy? Of course it's not. But I want us to go to John chapter 13 for a moment and verse 34. I want you to see what Jesus said to those disciples. John chapter 13. I've got to get there myself. And I believe it's verse 34. Here we go. Um, verse 33, we'll start there. This is the evening that they were gathered together. And he said, little children, yet a little while I am with you. 
You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, where I go, you cannot come, so now I say to you. Verse 34, watch. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. That's literally, do you see the key component that Paul was even expressing? Being rooted and grounded in that kind of love? That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. And that's what Jesus was all about. As we have our communion time, uh, everyone is certainly welcome to partake. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior is the only requirement. I'm going to ask Paul at you as you come up um, and pass the bread out that we would contemplate what it cost our Savior. It was an amazing time in his life. He knew the seriousness of all of the elements that were going to be taking place in just a few hours. His disciples had absolutely no idea. And yet it was a time of It would be the last time that they would be together. And I think it's just as important for us at this time as we commemorate and celebrate this time that we look forward to in the future of being able to do it with him, with him in heaven that we see the cost that he gave for us to establish and to get the grace that we've been talking about for numerous weeks. So let's just, in the quietness of our hearts, is, Laramie, would you play some a quiet, some, some soft hymns that we would uh, just get a gist, that our hearts would be open to our Savior. We would be focused on him. As I said that night, <clears throat> going back to the dialogue that's described for us in Matthew chapter 26, it tells us in verse 25 that, it said, Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said unto him, Thou hast said. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Let us just bow for prayer before we partake. Father God, thank you for what was accomplished in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the sacrifice that was made for him to purchase us to redeem or to buy us back out of the sin slave market. Father, in that night, the gist, the, the power, the struggle between good and evil would have been unbelievably immense and incomprehensible. And yet those disciples, unaware of the, the situation that was to unfold and totally misinterpreted the death of Jesus Christ, ultimately, Father, for him to lay his life on the line, to be hanged on a cross that, of which all love essentially came from. That power of grace that we've been talking about began on that cross to save all that would repent and to trust Christ by faith. What an amazing thing that you've accomplished. And it was told us, we looked at it today earlier, that before the foundation of the world, you had chosen Christ to accomplish it. And now, Father, as we partake of this, we ask that we would... Thank, thank you, Father, so much for what Christ did, but also as we look forward to doing it with Him in heaven, to partaking with our Savior. As we've talked about Him being comfortable living with us, He's went to prepare a place for us in heaven, a place that we would dwell with Him forever. What a picture. What a beautiful thing to see, God, how you've acted so justly, so righteously, and so gracefully and with mercy. Now, Father, we thank you for what was accomplished. We thank you for the sacrifice Christ paid. We ask in Christ's name, amen.
As he said that night, take and eat, this is my body, partake together. Again, Paul, as, you're, as he's passing out the cup, let me continue playing that music. I'd like to just contemplate the seriousness of that, that our Savior must have felt the emotions, the turmoil, for it's told that he even was perspiring drops of blood on that night as he went to pray. He took Peter and James and, and John, and they went to a place at Gethsemane, it says, and he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And he said in verse 38 of the same chapter that, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry here and watch with me. He went a little further. He fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That's literally what Jesus did. He accomplished all that was done at his Father's request knowing what would happen as a result. The fellowship and the, the removal that sin had broken would once again be brought together when the price was paid. And it required the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's just take a few moments and thank Christ for what He accomplished. It says that He took the cup, He gave thanks, and gave it to them. Ernie, could I ask you to say a blessing on the cup, please? After he gave thanks, it said that he said to them, Drink you all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, that new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's partake together. Oh, Father God, we again thank you for the mighty sacrifice that was accomplished over 2,000 years ago. What an event as Christ at 3 o'clock in the afternoon was hanging on that cross in excruciating pain when He said, It is finished. The last three words that were ushered physically before His death. It was the end of the beginning allowing us, Father, especially after you proved to everyone, everywhere, including Satan and the demons, as he rose from the dead, having life after having been dead, that once and for all, the power of sin had been broken and grace was full and free to those that would accept it by faith. What a magnificent gift. Father, thank you. We give you honor. We give you praise. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth their strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So I'm going to ask that this week you would fly like an eagle and not walk around like a turkey.
All right? To God be the glory. Great things He has done. Let us close in prayer. Father God, thanks again for all that you've accomplished in Jesus. Thank you for, your, for the gifts of encouragement, of power, and the delight that you are to our souls. I would ask that you would be with these people that have gathered, these precious ones this afternoon. May you give them safety and provision for the week before them. May you enhance the relationship with you, Father. May you allow them to see a plan for their life. May their lives be changed as, as you work within them. May the fruit that they bear touch others, love, joy, peace. Not only enrich their lives, but those around them. Father, thank you for what you're accomplishing day by day, moment by moment. And as you've said, that you're not finished with us yet. You're continuing to work on us because you love us too much to leave us the way we are. And now, Father, we trust you with our future because we trust you with today. And now, Father, go with us. Give us what we need. May we trust you and focus on you in Christ's name. Amen.